0: episode of the lakers fast break podcast thanks so much for watching and listening it's gerald glassford if you have any questions always for us lakers fast break Where we you get your social media or lakers fast break at yahoo.com and please like and subscribe today right there for you at the lakers fast break well with some time to reflect on what the lakers have done so far this season and what's up ahead everything that went on in the trade deadline and what is the outcome for ultimately for the Lakers this season. There's no better man that I talked to than a devoted Lakers fan indeed. Plus with the summer coming around and the Lakers actually still having a draft choice, although that's pretty much in question where it's at, but I'm thinking it's going to be around the, the late teens ish 15 to 20, somewhere around there after they do the swap between them and New Orleans. There's no better person to ask. Then my good friend, indeed, you got to go ahead and check out. He is part of the triumvirate of great NBA draft folks that are there for you right now. Each and every episode, you got to go ahead and talk to the guys today at the Upside Swings podcast. That's right. The Upside Swings NBA Draft podcast. Go ahead and check out what Bryce Cooper and my guest today, Stone Hansen, are going to go ahead and do for you each and every time out. They just went ahead and scouted the G League night a team that I know all too well. In fact, I'm you know actually down the road from them right now. So they've got some great thoughts on that, plus everything going on with the NBA draft. It is Stone Hanson. Stone, thanks for returning, my friend. Great to have you here. Looking forward to a great conversation on today's show about the Lakers and the NBA draft.
1: Yeah, good to be back. It's been a while, and I'm excited to talk Lakers because I don't get to do it a ton on my own pod. So it's fun to come here and talk about it.
0: They say, Oh, god, Lakers again. Oh, Lakers yeah. again. oh, oh, oh Lakers. <laughs> they shut me Lakers. out. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, my friend. I hear you. It's either it seems like a lot, oftentimes, it's like the Lakers fans and everybody else, as far as uh, like us versus them sometimes you know, with, our, <laughs> yeah. with our fandom. So, I will say though that the Lakers, uh, the people that are not Lakers fans actually can go ahead and Uh, given us fair game as far as teasing is concerned because the lakers have absolutely stunk the first uh you know 50 some odd games this season and coming out of the all-star break the mission is clear with just 23 games left coming out of the all-star break the lakers have to get into high gear i'm not sure if they will we'll see but they did make an effort Rob Palenka, the GM of the Lakers, did make his moves as far as some trades before the trade deadline in what he calls his pre-agency per se as far as decisions that he can make on keeping the roster the way it is or actually tearing it down during the summer and building something else. Your thoughts on the moves made at the trade deadline do you think it'll actually build the team into a better situation this year, or do you think it's meant for the seasons to come?
1: Um, I I think both, uh, actually. I think that it uh, helps us both uh, short-term and long-term. Um, I think that if you have a team that has the players like LeBron James and AD that are having the seasons that they're having, you sort of want to compete this year um you don't I don't think want to waste those and you want to try and go as all in as you you can with the assets that you had um and I think Palinka made probably as good a move as you could have hoped for um as a Laker fan uh with what he had to get himself out of the hole that he dug himself in with the Westbrook trade um and got a decent return uh, I think getting you know three guys that will instantly be in your rotation um we can argue whether they should be starting or not. That's another conversation. But uh, three guys, you know, that I think are um, really valuable to uh, the Lakers specifically and how they fit around LeBron and AD much better than, um, you know, Westbrook, who we, we shipped out.
0: Well, see, that leaves you with a situation like I've said before. It's addition by subtraction where you had – So, so many distractions with Russell Westbrook and how that trade went awry rather quickly, and the fit it went around the Lakers was just it just wasn't there. And with Patrick Beverly, his very nature, if he was no longer able to produce consistently on the court, both on the offensive and surprisingly the defensive end, because he was getting repeatedly torched uh, you know these 6-1 wings as he often called himself and and obviously what uh, rob blinka called him just didn't work so the distractions aside i'm I'm glad they got rid of him and it is addition by subtraction but the guys we got in place the vanderbilts the mo the, Bo, the mo bombas the the d'angelo russells the Malik Beasley's, the Rui Hashimora's. These aren't household names by any stretch of the imagination. And they're guys that I don't think any one of them have an all-star game in mind coming up anytime in the near future. I know D'Angelo did make the all-star, but okay. That's, that's the one and done deal for him. But these guys, they fit better around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And I think it's a step in the right direction, but do you think it's a big enough step for them to get back into the play and mix?
1: I do. When you look at what's sort of happening around the rest of the league and who's ahead of the Lakers, um, the Blazers, uh, I don't think did much to improve. They made a couple minor moves at the deadline, but I don't think they've done enough to really bump themselves up a whole lot. Uh, They should be someone that we are able to jump above. Um, Obviously, the Thunder, I don't think, are trying to win. They're unintentionally winning. Um, So you might expect some shutdowns. Don't tell about the Shea. (laughs) Yeah. You might expect some shutdowns uh, heading into the final, you know, uh, stretch here of games. Um, The Jazz obviously got worse um, by us getting, you know, three or two of their key players in their rotation. Um, The Warriors have Steph now out uh, for an extended period of time, and the Pelicans now have Zion out for an extended period of time, and we have no clue when uh, Carl Anthony Towns is coming back for the Timberwolves. So that right there is like a good six or so teams that are now. Not necessarily the Lakers are definitively better, but they're now in the mix with those teams. They're not definitively worse like we were. Um, mm-hmm. So if we can catch up to a few of those, I mean, that's enough to get us into the play-in. Um, obviously, as a Laker fan, you'd want them to jump all six of them, which is probably not super likely, but you only need uh, three. If you could jump three of them, then you're in that play-in, and I think that's that's doable um, for the remaining stretch for the Lakers.
0: And that's something, I guess, that a lot of people are hoping to cling on because when you're five, six games out of 500, I think the first goal is to get to 500 as fast as you can, as soon as possible. Something the Lakers have not been able to do all season since they were zero and zero and always trying to look up and always trying to claw your way up, it means that for every step you're taking forward, you're taking two steps backward. And I think that's the way this season has gone and the way the season went. whether it's injuries or just poor decision-making your thoughts though, I think with LeBron and AD, their health is, is should be of great concern. Do you see them making it all the way through the rest of the season? Because if you've been on the show, you know that I've with LeBron James, I have a healthy respect for as a basketball player on the court, but, him not playing these past few games, heading into the break, uh, the New Orleans game notwithstanding, but the, you know the games that that they could have really made a jump on, and he wasn't there. And then all of a sudden, you see him at, at in Phoenix at the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not a great look, but I think there's something wrong with his foot to the point where he is keeping him out of the lineup, in and out of the lineup, time after time. I'm concerned with him and AD, which we've heard has extensive you know, injury th- issues and concerns along with his foot as well. I think with LeBron in the past,
1: obviously, there's been a lot of times where they his teams play really well. They get into the playoffs and he likes to take a little bit of time off before he gets into the playoffs. And so he keeps himself fresh. I, I'm wondering if that's obviously this toe thing has sort of been a factor for him throughout times the season off and on but I'm wondering if that's a part of it where he wants to really focus on the back end after the all-star break and and do a really risky move of just trying to push through those last final games to get in uh, and take this little time off to rest and recover and and recover through all-star break uh maybe that's a factor of it but it's hard to really say without inside knowledge you know um but I do think that uh AD and LeBron like they're there's no way we make the play-in without them, um, especially LeBron uh, on the team in um, in this final push.
0: I mean, we got 23 games left coming out of the yeah. All-Star break. They've got to be healthy for at least 20 to 21 of them as a combined unit. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be a very tough hill to climb.
1: Yeah, um, I definitely. I think... I think without AD, it's still somewhat doable. If LeBron plays all the games, it's definitely harder. But I think it's it's still not out of the question. I think with LeBron out of those twenty games or so, it's out of the question. I, I don't think we can make the play in if if LeBron doesn't play those twenty or so games.
0: And that to be would be very disappointing because the fact that you know this uh, Rob has finally tried to start thinking. Uh, in a, a, uh, I guess, a a better fashion as far as how to fit pieces around LeBron. He was trying to do the opposite where everybody would go one way as far as how they would fit a team around LeBron. Shooters, good defenders. He would go in an opposite direction. And now finally, he's starting to realize, I need to go ahead and put shooters once again and good defenders once again. It worked in 2020 when they had guys that, that were good enough behind the three point area and then also as well could definitely defend. Finally we're starting to see a little bit of that, although Russell is not the greatest defender in the world. Beasley's not the greatest defender in the world, but these guys can go ahead and shoot. So it's at least from there, it should be able to stretch the floor and at least give some better looks for both LeBron and AD.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um those two guys then uh he wasn't exactly at the dead lane, but Hachimura who I'm not the biggest fan of, but I do think, um, just having someone that can be in your rotation rather than none, who wasn't even really playing during his tenure, uh, as a Laker, uh, definitely helps them, um, and and puts them in the right direction. Uh, it's, I think it's important for us in the sense that we, in for us to compete and it puts us further. I don't think it's enough for us to go all the way. Um, so that makes me even more excited more about the long term ramifications of this trade, because I think that when you're looking at the big picture, um, that's what this trade even affects more so rather than just the short term. Um, but it is important for the short term because it shows uh, LeBron, uh, obviously, and AD that, you know, Polinka is committed to trying to start making the right decisions uh, and giving us a, a competent team to put out on the floor night in and night out. This is Raphael from NBA Draft junkies.com and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break.
0: Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. I don't feel like that people have done that as much, especially with this international release. You can get out there right now. I know you can get it out there, but it, it feels like this time the last year, people have just been like, oh, "You could get you go. the Here's cell copy. phone version yeah. that was taped somewhere, where it's like, you know, Shell Shaky <laughs> has some dude or some family that's walking right in front of you as they're climbing their seat with the popcorn already in hand. No, you know, come that, on. You, really? yeah, that version is already available. Yeah, but I mean, like, with a mono I- sound." There you go. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's the worst part. You only get sound on the left yeah. ear, not the right ear. <laughs> Something like that. You can find that version already if you really want it. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. And essentially what the Russell Westbrook trade did to, uh, for us as far as uh, from a asset standpoint. Gives the Lakers some leeway as far as decision making, you know. Bringing in, I think you can essentially say four different players for Russell Westbrook in Bamba, Vanderbilt. Uh, Of course, you talk about Russell and Beasley, all four of those guys, you know, they essentially probably would not be on the team unless you traded away Russell Westbrook. And so, Russell Westbrook. His contract to $47 million has been translated into four rotational players, which is what you wanted to go ahead and do. The thing is, though, can these guys go ahead and, and gel fast enough and soon enough in order to go ahead and do that? We'll still look upon the Russell Westbrook trade as probably one of the worst trades in Los Angeles Lakers history. I mean, the fact is that we're still burnt to first-round picks. We'll never get back. Because one, you know, one that we, uh, two that we lost, and or one that we lost initially when we traded for him, and one that we lost uh, upon trading him out just to get rid of the contract. I think that's something that bears in mind, and will probably be something that'll be attached to Rob Palenka going forward. But be that as it may at the end of the season do you think rob palenka should still be in charge of running the front office that's another big question i wanted to ask you because there's some more decisions that have to be made during the summer including a draft pick for the lakers
1: yeah um i mean what palenka did at the deadline was uh really good but the the matter the fact of the matter is when you look at the big picture he put us, he's the one that put us in the hole, and he was the one that had to do his best to get us out of it. I don't think what he did was redeemable enough to make up for the rest of the resume uh, in terms of the, the bad decisions made. That said, it's difficult now because uh, obviously he just got an extension. So foreseeing him to not be there for the foreseeable future is tough because i think genie now trusts him and especially after how much praise they've gotten from this trade um i think that they may now think it's smooth sailing and and they're starting to you know see the vision and and get the right moves down so i don't foresee it happening but if it were up to me i don't think palinka would be here after uh this season ends
0: I agree with you, but I still want to see how the season ends before you finally make that call 100%. And I've been trying to correlate that to the audience. I mean, there's there's a segment of the audience that still cannot stand Rob Palenka, And there's a there's uh, now a growing sentiment that, oh, Rob's the greatest, Rob's the greatest coming out of that trade. And I'm like saying to them, guys and gals out there, our audience, please, if the student, for the first two years at our college, or their high school, or wherever that, they're getting Fs and Ds. Then all of a sudden they get B pluses and As for one series, maybe a, a couple periods here and there, or a couple tests. That doesn't necessarily make them a good student. That just means they're maybe heading in the right direction. But the thing is with a, you know, a, a franchise that needs to get in gear right away with a, a LeBron now approaching 39 years old this year, your time is running out. I mean, Bob Myers may be actually a available GM that has been proven as a world championship, multi world championship general manager. You could argue and say that Rob Blink is a, a championship general manager too. And that's, that's I, I get that. And I, I can understand it because he, he, you know, he was, he helped orchestrate that. But two and a half seasons of, of mismanagement. I think you need to start looking in a possible other direction. But again, we'll wait and see how the finished product for this season turns out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that um, there's at least more room for optimism than there was
0: before the deadline. That's for sure. And that I agree. Absolutely, I agree. Once again, it is Stone Hansen. You got to go ahead and check him out, along with the other guys, at the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Join Bryce Hendricks. Cooper Klein and of course Stone Hanson each and every time out they go ahead and talk about the NBA draft all the stuff that's going on yes we all know Victor Wembanyama is going number one we all know Scoot Henderson is going number two but what about the rest of the draft absolutely anyone's fair game so that's what we'll go ahead and talk about here but also you can go ahead and check it out in more detail at the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast and before we go ahead and talk about the NBA draft, I want to hear some more thoughts on with the Lakers. I mean, with the Lakers, when it comes down to it, my friend, they still haven't, you know, finally with this this better fitting squad, they still haven't come to terms on a any lineup yet. I know Dennis Schroeder in recent days, even though he didn't have a couple good performances before it went awry in Portland has been talked about, about being sent to the bench by the fans, but yet he stays in there for Darvin Ham. And we'll get to Darvin Ham in a minute. But your thoughts, though, on what a starting rotation should be right now for the Los Angeles Lakers?
1: So if it were up to me personally, I would have Schroeder coming off the bench to run the offense as your backup point guard. Um, I think I'm higher on Schroeder than a lot of people, but I don't think that he and Russell are the ideal pairing in the backcourt. So what it comes down to for me is, Austin Reeves or Malik Beasley and that question is dependent on who the power forward is or, or the other forward alongside LeBron uh, with Hachimura or Vanderbilt. Um, personally, uh, I think I would start Vanderbilt uh, because I do think that he is um, just a, a all-defensive caliber um, type defender and I think that pairing him uh, next to um, Anthony Davis in your starting and closing lineups is Uh, probably what's most beneficial if you're looking at the remaining three players in that starting lineup um, to give you some sort of backbone where it's not all on Anthony Davis to make up for the sins of his teammates. Um, That said, uh, I think if you're having Vanderbilt poses a little bit of spacing problems. So for my shooting guard, I would probably go with the best spacing option possible, which for me would be uh, Malik Beasley. So, uh, in an ideal world, I think it would look like Russell, Beasley, uh, LeBron, Vanderbilt, and Anthony Davis.
0: And that's something a lot of people have talked about between uh, Beasley and Austin Reeves, with Austin Reeves getting a lot of love out there. He, but with Austin Reeves, he went undrafted for a reason. And, you know, there are times where you really see things really clicking, and he looks like a player out there as far as of that could be a rotation on anyone's team. And then there are games where he looks completely lost and they have him out there against some of the best players in the NBA and he looks like an undrafted player. Your thoughts on Reeves, you know, I'm I'm glad they were able to get any kind of return on him. You know, as far as undrafted players are concerned, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get. And, And the fact that he's played so much on this Lakers team over the past two seasons has been outstanding. I would love to see him find some consistency at some point, point. and if he can, he's going to be a keeper in this league. But his inconsistency right now, especially his outside shot, I think is what is what is holding him back.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think that that is probably why I would have him on the bench as opposed to Beasley. Um, I would start Reeves if Ham was insistent on starting Hachimura, which it seems like he is. Um, but uh, I, I think Reeves is a good enough defender. Um, In a lot of different circumstances to justify the playing time, Um, especially when you look at who else is going to be in the backcourt with him a lot of the time. Um, Schroeder has been a decent defender at times. Um, He's also been someone that's inconsistent defensively, but I think that he has that sort of point of attack. And that's what Austin Reeves offers from the guard position. I think uh, if you're the Lakers, you really need that sort of point of attack defense when you're looking around at who's on the perimeter. And I think that makes a lot of sense to give him an ample amount of playing time. I'm just not sure that I would necessarily start him with who else uh, would be on the roster for spacing reasons. Uh, But long-term, I do think Reeves can be a pretty valuable um, rotation player. Um, I don't know if he's ever like, you know, 30 team like legitimate starter for everybody but i think that there's enough there i think he provides enough in enough areas to make him worth a rotation spot for a lot of teams Uh, it's just a matter of like you said consistency and i think he'll figure that out as um you know we go through uh game after game and hopefully into next season as well
0: one of the things, though, that uh, the fans in our chat room and the audience out there and fans at large have been talking about all season long is the rotations for Darvin Ham and his coaching acumen so far this year. He's earned a lot of praise for what he did with Russell Westbrook, you know, convincing him to come off the bench, which is something that should have happened a long time before. And he's been praised as far as the energy that this had, this team has had consistently, despite its losing ways. But His decision-making at times, the fact that the team is one of the poorest, if not the poorest team in the third quarter, the fact his rotations have been very suspect, his uh, reluctancy to make changes, even though he's had more starting starting lineup changes in the NBA, people seem to want more. Like, for instance, his reliance on Dennis Schroeder in the starting lineup has been a big uh, point of contention for a lot of people plus his rotations down the stretch uh, as it gets close to the fourth quarter have obviously been in question at several points in time. Your thoughts on overall on uh, Darvin Ham, where he is as a coach, and if you think he should remain the coach for the long term.
1: I was skeptical of Ham. I didn't really know much about him um, when he first became the Lakers head coach. Uh, What I did know is um, he was an assistant coach for a long amount of time. Uh, and that's sort of a red flag in and of itself. There's a reason he was an assistant for a long time and couldn't nail down a head coaching job for that amount of time, Uh, and I think we're starting to see the fruits of that. I'm not the biggest Ham fan. Uh, I think that there's a lot of questionable decision-making that goes on uh, in terms of rotations, but not only that, also in terms of adjustment within game. Um, We saw at the last Blazers game, um, obviously it looked like, uh, they were just bombing threes a lot. And a lot of times they were wide open. I think that that was by design coming into the game. But I don't think Ham was able to figure out within the game how to adjust their game plan. Uh, and I think that that is you know, obviously what led to that blowout. And I think that um, we've seen that a lot throughout the season. I think he just struggles to adjust the game plan within games. And that's a big red flag. I would personally look for... I wasn't a big fan of firing Vogel to begin with, but um, I would look at other routes this off season. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think now's the time to fire him because obviously you're in the final stretch of games and you probably want to remain as much continuity within the team as you can um, for that final stretch. But uh, this, this off season, I would definitely look at other options um, and not, not tie myself um, definitively to, to the hand wagon.
0: And the thing that bothers me the most when it concerns Darvin says, is his first coaching position. And with LeBron and AD, you know, they're not on the same time frame as a rookie coach. And having a rookie head coach, I mean, okay, in Boston, we've seen actually a rookie head coach do very well because of the system and a platform that's in, that's in place. But with the Lakers, where the organization as a whole has not actually been... Streamlined. It's not actually been something that's consistent or consistently good. It's seemingly all over the place the past decade. I mean, we've hit the highs and highs and lows and lows as an organization. And more often it's been lows as the number of playoff appearances in the past 10 years dictate. It's something where maybe if LeBron's time frame is and time window is short, maybe you want to get an experienced coach that can actually go ahead and get the best out of him and a team in a shorter amount of time.
1: I don't know who that would be at the moment um, when you look at sort of the coaching market out there. Um, But uh, I I think that, yeah, Ham is is obviously not experienced as a head coach and it's showing throughout the season. The other thing I think that's important to note is I do believe that the Lakers, when they fired Vogel, allowed Ham to sort of pick out his coaching staff when they hired him. With Missoula, I believe everything has stayed in place. They just, he's the the new head coach uh, and coaching staffs I think play a bigger part of the coaching picture than a lot of people give credit for Agreed. um yeah and and letting a rookie head coach pick out his own uh staff is a question another questionable move by uh Polinka in the front office so I think that there's more than just ham that needs to be reevaluated this
0: season in terms of the coaching once again, it is the Lakers fast break. Stone Hansen is here. He is one of the guys behind the upside swings NBA draft podcast. Go ahead and check it out today, wherever you get your podcast. These guys do a great job of breaking down the draft for you. And they're not, it's not just like 10 or 15-minute quickies. These are like hour, two-hour long conversations where they go heavy in depth on the NBA draft. And before we head on out, you know I am an NBA Draft fan. I am nowhere near the expert you are. I have created and actually done extensive research in past drafts on uh, the NBA Draft and done my own mock drafts, et cetera, et cetera. This year, I've not had as much time, admittedly, to go ahead and check out a lot of the NBA Draft prospects. I am aware. I've actually done a little bit of reading up and obviously listened to your podcast in recent days as well because you said you wanted going to come out back on the show and i always prep by listening to your good stuff beforehand but before we end on out my friend i wanted to talk about the nba draft of course victor's going number one there's no doubt i saw him live play against scoot and i i feel like that was i was privileged and the first thing that that i will always remember is that the the crowd in the dollar loan center arena was about half full, maybe at best, and to me, that's a tragedy and that's a shame because there should have been more people around the country that should have actually gone and seen the game because it was it was definitely worth it to see and actually be experiencing. Uh, you know, and rafael Barlow, my good friend, and our good friend from uh, you know what he does with the Locked On NBA Draft podcast and all that. He was there, and I got a chance to see him and whatnot, and we talked about it. It was so funny because people in that first half were, were downing Victor. Oh, man, is he really worth it, man? Is he really worth the number one pick? Because <laughs> he was kind of struggling coming out of the gate. He started out hot, but he kind of struggled in the late first quarters. You know, second quarter. He was, oh, is this guy worth it? Then he exploded in that second half, and Scoot Henderson, who was really hot in the first half, and people were like, oh, could Scoot be the number one? Scoot should be the number one. You know, he wasn't as successful doing the things he needed to do in that second half as far as driving in the lane, exploding, getting around Victor, but he found other ways to get people involved and he stayed involved. And that's what I think a great young player needs to learn is the ability. Okay, if option one is not working for you, let's go to option 1A or 1B or 1C. So, your thoughts on this before we get heavy into the draft talk about the other players, like about the Thompson twins and anybody else that you want to talk about. I want to hear your thoughts, though, on Victor and Scoot and what a privilege it is to see two of the best draft prospects to come out in quite a long time.
1: I wish I had made those exhibition games. I had other obligations to take. I still to got, at got the
0: tickets, man. I think, <laughs> you know, if they, if they both pop as players, yeah. yeah.
1: I know. I'm. I. I would love to watch Victor, uh, live eventually. Yeah, it is I, a
0: treat. I will tell you, it is an absolute oh yeah. treat. I'm sure.
1: There's. I've. I've been doing this a long time now, and I've never seen. I mean, Victor is a one of one prospect. Um, yeah. we've talked about. We've labeled. Uh, I think wrongly. So, um, prospects in the past. is generational. Um, I won't name names, but I, I do think that Wemby is this generational prospect. Um, I don't think that we'll ever see another victor in our lifetimes uh, and what he can do on the court. People, I think, sort of get worried about the injury history and all that. I don't even care about any of that right now. Um, just focusing on what he actually does on the court uh, is absolutely um, incredible. When you're seven foot five or seven foot six, and you're able to dribble like he can and, and have reactive passes like he can uh, and see the court and, and process things as quickly um, as that, uh, it's rare for bigs to do that. It's even rarer for seven foot five bigs to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, then you're extremely special. Um, and uh, most big men um, that are are labeled as sort of these unicorns coming out end up not being much of shooters uh, in the NBA. It just doesn't work out a lot of times. Uh, with Victor, I, I he's not only probably like a top three rim protector that I've ever seen, um, he's also – I very much buy him as the shooter um, as a big man, and that that's huge in today's game. So there's really so much that he does. Uh, we did, I think, an hour-and-a-half podcast a couple weeks ago on him. Uh, if you want to really listen and and nerd out on everything that Victor does on the court, but he is, I I think, one A and one B with, with Luka Doncic in terms of the prospects that I've watched
0: uh, throughout the years. Just a tremendous uh, prospect. Like you said, Uh, for me, I have rarely seen an individual coming out of uh, whatever amateur, whether it's Europe, whether it's high school, whether it's college. And, seeing a guy that that's on the verge of becoming a pro just as skilled as an individual that he is uh i mean my gosh i've called him and i will still continue to call him a seven foot four i think rafael said seven foot four and a half seven foot four and a half wing because to me he doesn't play like a center it's to oh, yeah. me if uh, maybe even better, even more fluid than Russell uh, than Ralph Sampson was when he was before the knees and the injuries took took a toll on him. R- Ralph Sampson could move around very well for the big man. This is not even close. I mean, to me, he I actually picture and I view Victor Wemiyama as someone as six, seven, six, eight. I don't always see him as seven foot four and a half. I always see him when he plays on the offensive side and the way he handles the ball, the way he sees, the vision, the passing, the shot obviously as far as he's very streaky still from the behind the arc but when he hit, when he's on he's really really good. To me I see him more as a 6768 player as opposed to a 7 foot 4 player at times. Maybe that's to a detriment at the times because he does play a little bit soft, but my gosh, do have those kind of resources, do have that kind of skill to be able to switch out on the defensive end and pop out on the perimeter like he can, and to be able to move laterally is just absolutely incredible for someone like that. I I will never probably in my life see anyone that kind of size that can move that well.
1: Yeah, I don't think anybody ever will. Um, it is it is pretty remarkable. Um, he's, oh, like I said, a one-of-one one talent. Um, I, I don't think there's anyone that can replicate that. Um, I think uh, he embodies what the modern NBA has become uh, to the the absolute peak. Um, I, I think that when you think of modern NBA, um, at near the top of the conversation is what a modern big has become because that has changed the complexity of a lot of uh, NBA teams, um, and I don't think anybody embodies that better than Victor Wembanyama, especially considering the fact that he's four or five inches taller six inches taller in a lot of cases than than other bigs in the in the league um so when he's doing what he does at his size uh and he has you know the footwork the touch um even the rim protection like we were talking about uh, i won't even get into like how nuanced it would be because it would take me hours like like the other podcast we did but it, it would take too long but uh, just in, in totality, what he brings on a court is um, unparalleled. And I think anyone who doesn't have him number one in this class would be wrong, even if he doesn't live up to the expectations put upon him, because there's never been a pre-draft prospect like like Victor.
0: I agree. I agree with you on that. I mean, Shaq, you could for so many different reasons, because he was also at an early age so fluid and so uh, agile for someone his size but he didn't have the touch anywhere near the touch that Victor did, nor did he need to in his game at that point in time. So it's kind of a different context because it was a different basketball game then. And then you're talking about Anthony Davis. I clearly see him as a better prospect at this time than Anthony Davis was at that time. And I know he's like uh, maybe in even Zion too, uh, you know, at, at their perspective, coming out of high school, 17 going on 18 years of age, I clearly see him as better and more developed and ready to play now more than Zion or Anthony Davis. Now those two are probably considered in the past decade plus probably the best prospects heading into the draft.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I don't really have much more to add to that.
0: I think you, you summed it up well. (laughs) But then there's also another great player that probably under most circumstances would be the number one without a doubt. Uh, And that would be Scoot Henderson, who I would, you know, if it was last year's draft, he would, if he would have uh, qualified for last year's draft, I would have made him my number one choice. Uh, That would, he's just so tremendous as a ball handler. His vision is so underrated because he's such a great scorer. And if he ever develops a consistent three-point shot, because he already shoots well from the line, he is really going to be something special. And his defense, uh, he he doesn't take plays off. His intensity and his competitiveness he reminds me of Russell Westbrook with a jump shot. I think that's probably the best thing. Maybe J- Russell rebounds a little bit better, but with Scoot, I mean, he's got really, really good for the mid-range. Excellent from the mid-range. I saw him... Shooting and his stroke from the mid-range is outstanding. So your thoughts on Scoot Henderson? I really think any team who finishes the runner-up will definitely be pleased that they got Scoot Henderson.
1: Like you're saying, if it was um, a vast majority of other classes, uh, Scoot would be at the top of the conversation. Uh, But the fact that we have Victor um, obviously makes that a foregone conclusion that he's, he's not number one. Um, but that's no fault to him. Uh, I do think that he is an excellent guard prospect. Um, I think that he is uh, a fantastic passer. Someone that uh, lever—he's a walking paint touch, and he leverages that to the best of his abilities. I think that he uh, is really just an awesome guard prospect all around. Like the mid-range, like you're saying, hasn't spaced out to three yet, but I do have faith that he can get to an average rate at least. Uh, in in order to space out the court once he gets to the NBA eventually. So um, there's a lot to like with Scoot. I do think that he is uh, definitively, for me, the number two prospect. But I think that there's – I don't think the gap between two and three is as big as a lot of people may may think it is. But I do think that Scoot is a really, really awesome prospect. And whoever gets him, I think, is going to be – Very happy, um, even though they didn't
0: get Wimby. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Hey, Lakers fans. Looking for the best place to go for up-to-date news, information, original videos, articles, podcasts, opinion pieces, and discussions about the Los Angeles Lakers Well, look no further than Lakerholics.com. With a legion of followers always there talking about everything Lakers and the NBA, there's no better place to go to share your fandom as the team heads toward another championship run. So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. Once again, it is Stone Hansen. He is one of the guys behind the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Please go ahead and check it out each and every time they go ahead and air a new episode. It's right there for you. Got 150 episodes in the tank. So go ahead and check out the entire library of great shows that they've got waiting for you right now at the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. But this has been called a very deep draft as far as rotational players, as far as players who can shoot, players who can score, players with athleticism. I know a lot of the athleticism starts with the Thompson twins, Amen and Asar. I seen a little bit of footage, you know, uh, more than my share. Uh, I'd say probably a little bit more than most. I know a lot of people will be catching up on with the Thompson twins. I know with the overtime elite, sometimes it's always a not the easiest to get, but once you find it, you, you're really impressed with what they got. I, you know, athletically, there's no doubting either of them as far as athletically. They've got serious flaws in their game, and that centers around the shooting aspect. But the way those two kids have, have really good vision, whether you want to put them at a point guard or a small forward slot because they're 6'7, 6'8, good wingspans. I know that uh, they're considered in the lottery, in fact, as high. I've seen them as high as a man for number three. And I saw, I think, around number five is the highest I've seen them. And I've seen them as low as 15. Your thoughts on the Thompson Twins before we get to some other great players upcoming in the NBA draft. Actually, right before
1: I started recording with you, we just wrapped up on Upside Swings uh, with our OTE episode um, that should drop sometime this week. Yeah, Amen is for me the number three guy in this class. Uh, mm-hmm. I really like Amen. I think that uh, the athleticism is that the way he moves is not like things we've seen in the past. Um, obviously, we've had super mega athletes, whether it be like Zach Levine or, or players of that ilk, crazy leapers, shade and sharp in this last draft. But I think Amen Thompson is just a different level of quick twitchiness that we don't really see on both ends
0: compare uh, him to someone like Blake Griffin who had and a keyword is had that at one time coming out of Oklahoma
1: um Blake was before I did the draft so as a prospect I didn't really know I did see him early years in the Clippers and I would say that Amin Thompson is maybe not the leaper Blake was but I think He's not that far off as a, as a guard slash wing, and I think that aside from just the leaping, the quick twitchiness of the first step, uh, how he moves laterally, those are things we don't usually see to that level, especially in a combination with the leaping. There's His athleticism affects really every aspect that you can imagine, and... That's not really something we see with athletes. It's not a whole package deal like it is with Lamavin. And that's why I'm so high on him. His brother, on the other hand, I think is a very different prospect. I know they get lumped in together quite often and um, they share, uh, they're obviously twins. uh, So that's bound to happen to some extent. But I think uh, Oscar, for me, uh, I'll probably end up a lot lower than most people. I would have him near the end of the first round um, rather than the top near his brother. Uh, I don't think that he is quite the same level as athlete. athlete, um, and I think he's a much slower uh, processor of the game when the ball is in his hands. So uh, I would favor Amin quite a bit, and I do think Alman is, is worthy of that number three praise, but I'll probably end up lower on
0: uh, Asar than most people. Now, with both of them, the key is, you know, obvious to both of their games, especially with a man with his athleticism, is how well he can he shoot? And that's something obviously that's been a great question with uh, the scouts out there. And, and for what I've seen as well, it's not a, it's not a pretty shot yet. I'll say that.
1: Yeah. And to be a hundred percent Frank with you, I don't, I don't think it's going to ever be really a pretty shot. I don't, I don't foresee him ever being that much of a shooter, but I think he's such an athlete and can get to the paint at will that I'm not sure it's, it's obviously, you know, much better to have a three point shot, but I don't think it's going to, be detrimental to him as a prospect i don't think it makes or breaks him necessarily in the league um i think that it obviously would be better if he if he was able to shoot it further out but i do think that um he's so athletic and it has such a quick first step uh and is a very very good passer in his own right um i would probably say not quite to scoot levels but not super far off um and i think that that really makes for something special as a prospect
0: Someone who has risen up draft boards because of not only his play, but also I believe partly because the team success as well as Brandon Miller of Alabama, because Alabama uh, reaching the number one spot uh, for the first time in a long time as far as on the men's basketball side, because we know how well they dominate on the football side. But to see them at the level that they're at and also as an NCAA tournament favorite A lot of that is due to his play. He has risen up draft boards to be a major contender for that number three slot. Your thoughts on Brandon Miller?
1: My thoughts are not as extensive as the other guys we talked about because I'm actually this year trying to spend really an extensive amount of time on each prospect before I move on to the next. Uh, And I really want to dive deep on every guy so that I have, by the end of the year, I'll put out a full board and hopefully it'll be you know, As accurate as it can get, obviously it won't be 100% because mm-hmm. it never is. But um, I do think Brandon Miller is a pretty special shooter, especially at his size. Um, the movement shooting is really excellent. Um, that's the biggest thing. Uh, people will label him as sh- an excellent shooter, which is correct. But the biggest factor of that is that he can shoot while moving at his size um, with his body turning, coming off pin downs, things like that. That's not something you often see for guys that size. Um, and that is super intriguing. In terms of the rest of his game, uh, I I feel like I need to get a deeper understanding before I could really speak in depth about it because I just haven't watched enough games yet to really have that that sense of what he is um, in totality. Uh, so I, I don't feel comfortable commenting much further outside of the shooting.
0: I understand. I understand. And we'll get to your. Choices here as far as who you think is rising up draft boards or who you think fans out there, like the Lakers fans out there, should be looking at as far as the first (laughs) round is concerned. But before we do, I want to note one thing about this deep draft. A lot of wings, a lot of guards. Point guards is eh, kind of light on, you know, once you get past Scoot. Or if you want to consider the Thompson twins as far as one of them or both of them as far as in a point guard facilitator mode. It gets kind of thin there. But one of the other thin spots is after Victor centers. The center position is kind of weak, in my opinion. Philipowski, um, you know, from Duke, he reminds me a lot of a Plumley. Uh, I will mm-hmm. say that in many ways, <laughs> for better or for worse. Actually, although Plumley is actually, you know, there's a Plumley that's actually playing very well right now. He just got traded to the Clippers. Uh, you're talking about Lively, who's disappointed. You're talking about Khalil Ware uh, at Oregon, who's also disappointed. I, I definitely want to hear. Uh, you know our our, uh, Michael Weisenberg uh, Mikey V want to hear his thoughts being that he is in and around the Oregon University all the time as far as uh, watching that and I'm sure he has some great thoughts on that but last uh, draft I thought was pretty deep with big guys I thought with big guys that can succeed in the league uh, I had I I want to pat myself on the back because I thought Walker Kessler was a player from the get-go I had stated that I think with you last year and I usually don't get many right, but I knew I got that one right. I got him and Desmond Bain right, and also Emmanuel quickly to an extent. In fact, those are the three guys in the past five seasons. I'm like, those guys are going to be players, and I was right on that. But your thoughts on the center position, the big man position? I think if a team is in need of a big man, I don't think they're going to get much help in the NBA draft this season.
1: Yeah, uh, unless you're hitting number one, um, which only one team is, 29 other teams are going to be probably not super happy with the remaining field of bigs. Uh, I came into this class massively high on Kahlil Ware. I am actually still really high on him, but I don't think his stock will be high enough for him to remain in the draft come draft time. Uh, and that's sort of the thing that we're starting starting to monitor with a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that are projected to be one-and-dones that just have not sort of lived up to the expectations quite yet. And I think that there could be um, as deep as a class as we had thought and hoped it would be, it could end up being actually pretty shallow past the first big few big names because uh, a lot of these guys, I, I don't think, have the stock that they were hoping for coming into the season. So it could get pretty interesting uh, once we get to the deadline uh, when they can withdraw their names. Um, that said, I think probably the best big it depends how you view him. Drace uh, Walker could be in the mix. I know a lot of people view him as sort of as a small ball five. Um, I really like him, and that's how I would use him as sort of a small ball five. So he's probably the best name uh, after that, and he's someone you know that'll probably go in the five to ten range. Um, super versatile defender who I think can switch onto a lot of different guys um, and is super active. His motor runs very hot. Uh, the other remaining guys. It's a lot of guys that'll probably end up being like late first round or somewhere in the second. After that, there's really between after Durace, if you even consider him a big, he'll, he'll be a small ball big. Um, there's probably going to be a good twenty or plus picks that go without any big name big men being taken. Um, after that, uh, some names that I do like. Uh, I really like KJ Adams out of Kansas. If you were to stay in. Uh, I think that he's a really tight rotational defender, uh, undersized, but I think has a very good understanding of where to be on the court defensively. Um, F.A. Abagidi uh, from the G League Ignite, um, which I'm sure you've seen. um, He uh, is, I I think, has a lot more, um, a lot more stock should be put into him as sort of a big man option uh, when you get past the big initial big names because uh, I do think that he's a very good rim runner and someone that has uh, projectable indicators in terms of maybe being able to space the floor a little bit more than a traditional big. And then uh, after that, it's pretty bleak. I know a lot of people like Filipowski uh, so far, I'm not varying on him. Uh, I have a lot of defensive concerns with him. Noah Clowney uh, is probably in the mix as well as someone that is uh, also on Alabama that playing alongside Brandon Miller, who, uh i think surprised a lot of people this season as uh somebody that is able to space the floor but also has sort of a switchability as a big which is obviously a super valuable skill set if it were to click um so those are the probably the, the big uh names after the initial headliner names in the draft that i'll be watching
0: zach Eady from purdue gets a lot of pub because he's on one of the best teams in in college basketball but at his size, he doesn't move as fluidly. So I see there's always going to be an issue with him in, in the league. I know Magic Man Sean Grice of our show keeps calling him a uh, Purdue's version of Ivica Zubats. I'm not exactly convinced that that's the case. I think Ivica Zubats came in with a lot more gifts and a, a lot. Uh, he's also a little bit more fluid and can actually move a little bit faster than Zach Eady can. Your thoughts on Zach Edy. And then I have a name that I want to throw out to you at you here at the end of the show, but also your thoughts as well on some upcoming draft choices that you really like. But we'll go ahead and talk Zach Edie first.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm Edie's. Obviously, been in the radars for draft people for quite some time, um, playing at Purdue. I think that I'm pretty out on him. I was also very out on Walker Kessler. So take what I say with Edie with a grain of salt, because apparently I'm not the not the big man whisperer, um, that you are, uh, with, with, with Walker. Um, I missed on him very badly, but, uh, I, I do think that, uh, Edie has, um, he has skill for his size, but I just don't think it's enough to really stick in the NBA. Um, I, I think guys that are that big are always going to struggle defensively. Yeah, uh, Boban is probably one of the best skilled offensive players for his size he still can't really get minutes on the court because of how much of a liability he is defensively and I don't really think it changes much with Edie um, yeah. he's just not mobile enough I don't think he's as good a rim protector as his side for his size that he should be uh, and I, I think that uh, there's a lot of questions in terms of you know if he, if he's going to go help side and someone does a quick pass, and he has to go change directions to block that. It's an easy bucket for the other team. There's just a lot of things like that that I think have to be contextualized as a shot blocker that Edie doesn't check the boxes for. So I'm pretty out on him. um, but I have been wrong in the past, like I've said, so maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm kind
0: of leaning your way on Edie. I just you know, again, he fits well on the Purdue side, but that's the college side, and I think that's where you get to the jump of the pros because it's quicker, faster, reactions have to be better quicker and faster and in order to do so you got to have that mobility and i just don't think he has it at this point in time can he get it i'm, I'm not sure i saw that with kessler i thought that kessler could stick just because of the fact that i thought he was mobile enough to be able to utilize his his strengths i just don't see that with uh with Edie yet uh, maybe if he drops some weight uh you know maybe that could be just the issue right there maybe get him on a conditioning program if you get him as an undrafted kid or as someone as a late second rounder you can develop him into that uh, i mean we thought the same about luka garza as far as not being able to play in the nba because of the defensive issues and look at him he's still he's he's you know playing very well for minnesota i was uh, out on him so i i missed it on him but yeah i think that with the big guys it's really tough to tell you know exactly how much of a contribution that they can make in this league it's it, it's a really tough call because that that size you're not sure exactly if they will be exploited or if they will be doing the exploiting in the NBA.
1: Yeah. There, there's offensive skill for sure. But I think for me right now, the, the defensive skill uh, outweighs that uh, in a negative way. So I'm, I'm uh, not, not as optimistic with him as a prospect.
0: So there are though prospects that you like, and you know, I love getting you, I love getting Raphael and I love getting Mikey V on the shows because you, all you guys have like a core set of players, which you're all which all of you guys are high on. And then it branches out like a tree from there <laughs> where maybe you will like someone that Mikey V doesn't, maybe Mikey V likes someone that Raphael doesn't, and so on and so forth that are maybe not as high on, or maybe that you are. It goes back and forth. Who are the players that you're high on that people need to take notice of in this year's NBA draft?
1: Yeah, so I think uh, a couple names that stand out to me, uh, one of them would be Brandon Podziemski, who's getting virtually like zero buzz outside of some uh, Twitter circles. Um, there's not a whole lot, and I can't figure out why it is, a national buzz around him. Um, he is uh, the sort of pseudo-replacement for Jalen Williams at the Santa Clara Broncos this season. Uh, obviously, Jalen has gone on to have a fantastic rookie season. Uh, And Brandon Podziemski has done a pretty admirable job of filling in for him uh, at the Broncos. He had a successful season uh, this year, as well as last year with Jalen leading the team. Podziemski is a sort of combo guard um, that thrives either on or off ball. That's sort of the appeal with him, I think. Um, Somebody that you can put at either guard position. Um, I think he's a really, really good shooter uh, who also has the chops to create for himself on ball, as well as others who can handle pick and roll very competently uh, is more than capable of uh, setting his teammates up um, once he gets into the paint uh, and kicking out. Um, There's just a lot of things he does well offensively that I think um, he's flying under a lot of radars. And uh, even though he's not getting that national buzz, I would still have him as definitely like a top 20 prospect in this class uh, maybe even higher by the time I, I fill everything out. Another guy uh, that's somewhat in a similar vein, a little bit different though, is Terquavion Smith out of North Carolina State. Um, he was obviously had a lot of buzz uh, near the end of last draft class, um, where he had a couple big showings uh, in the the uh, combine games, um, and he he did play pretty well in those, but ended up pull, pulling his name out of the draft and uh, returned. Uh, I think he is a phenomenal shooter. Um, You don't see a lot of guys taking pull-up threes from, you know, eight feet from beyond the line. Uh, There's a lot of times where he's shooting off movement. Um, He's developed his passing game more than last season. Uh, I think he's gotten better since last year, Uh, and I know some would disagree. um, But because I do think that, I think that improvement is a big deal for me And seeing that improvement in my eyes. Um, is enough to put him up higher than where he was last year i'll probably end up with him as a lottery pick um some people are probably a little bit lower than that uh but i i do think he is a really um someone i really believe in uh, he could be
0: somewhere he could be someone that the lakers might be eligible to pick when they pick uh probably late uh teens That's what yeah looking at right now. he's
1: he is um obviously Podziemski would be someone i'd look at too but i don't mm-hmm. think he'll you'd have to spend a first round pick on him to, to get him uh, at this point in the class Um though is on Definitely someone I've um, mentioned uh, in, in other circles. And I think would the Lakers should target uh, if, if they, you know, keep their pick um, or swap with the, the Pelican to whatever the case ends up being um, another uh, name, um, I guess probably the, the last name I'll bring up here. Um, he's, Someone that is probably going to be looked at as a second round guy. If I were the Lakers, I would not hesitate to look at him with whatever pick we end up with. Uh, some were probably in the 15 to 24 range or something. Um, I Is Kevin McCuller from Kansas. Um, he was in last class, uh, ended up pulling his name out, obviously a little bit older of a player and, um, for my money, is probably the um, best uh, wing or or non big defender in this class, um, outside of maybe Amen. Uh, I think that he is a, a fantastic um, perimeter defender, a team defender um, who knows exactly when to rotate, um, and has enough offensive skill to keep him on the court where he's not ending up as a Matisse Thibault uh, and and not being like a active negative for you on that end. Um, so McCuller is someone I'm much higher on than a lot of people, but I think that there's, a, when you watch him to me, he just, he strikes you as an NBA guy like this. This is a guy who I think belongs in an NBA rotation. Uh, and if you can get that at pick 20, uh, I think you've done a good job because there's usually not 20 plus guys, uh, in this, in any given class that end up as rotation guys.
0: You know what I can, I can get it wrong too. You remember, I was really high on Isaiah Mobley and he hasn't, uh, seen uh, any real playing time for the Cleveland Cavaliers. So, yes, uh, I can get them wrong, too, every once in a while. But maybe maybe Mobley will play. Who knows? Down the stretch. We'll see. But before we head on out, my friend, and before you tell everybody why they need to check out the Upside Swings NBA Draft podcast, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about Twitter's cult favorite from the powerhouse known as North Dakota State that is grant nelson so grant tell me a little bit about grant nelson 611 i've seen him play a little bit it's got some moxie got got a little bit of pizzazz going i know that uh actually this maybe this arm on this is bigger than his arm so that's obviously (laughs) something i would work on but 611 kid has got some moves got some as far as some handle uh you know it still needs to be consistent from the outside your thoughts Is Grant Nelson someone that someone should take a flyer on in the second round or can be an NBA player?
1: Uh, You know what? Um, I've seen very limited amounts of Grant Nelson at this point. Uh, I do know uh, I have many friends that are very high on Grant Nelson and many that would not touch him with a 10-foot pole. He seems somewhat polarizing. Um, As for my own thoughts, uh, from the limited footage that I've seen, um, he seems like somebody that uh, is get is getting a lot of hype because he doesn't uh, fit your typical NBA look. I would say uh, he's yeah. he's not. Don't judge a book by the cover. He's sort of the the pinnacle of that. Um, he has uh, obviously some uh, athleticism that he likes to use around the rim. Um, he is uh, someone that I I, I think it, at a certain point, if you're like past. 45 to 15, a lot of classes, I'm I'm kind of just like, if you like a player, take them. Um, I think that it it gets to a point where there's not really much of a separation past 45 or 50 for the next 40 or 50 prospects. And if you like someone that much, take them there, uh, draft them uh, and don't look back. Uh, And I think if you think that with Grant Nelson, go for it. Um, I haven't seen enough of him to really say I'd put him anywhere above that. Uh, that may change as I watch more,
0: but um, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Once again, it's Stone Hansen. He is part of a great trio of draft experts that you can go ahead and catch all their episodes today at the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Before we head on out, my friend, I have talked so many great things about it. I have listened to more than my share of episodes. I've also been on one episode. <laughs> so I hear you. I ask you, my friend, at this point in time, so I ask you your thoughts on the Upside Swings NBA Draft podcast and what it can do for people out there that really want to get to better understand everything going on with this year's NBA Draft. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, Upside Swings, We this is our third year now, um, and it's been great. It's been a great ride. Um, the, sort of the goal coming into it, and I think what we've maintained throughout pretty much this whole process is that uh there's a lot of podcasts out there about the draft if you wanted to rafael does a great job on his podcast there's multiple others beyond his um that also do a good job of uh giving you analysis um a lot of them uh not all of them but a lot of them are limited but sometimes by the amount of time that they have to talk about a prospect because Um, Most people are, I'm going to be frank, not going to listen to an hour and a half, two-hour podcast on prospects, but uh, if you are uh, somebody, you do, and I I do appreciate that, Um, and if you are someone that is interested in gaining a very deep and nuanced understanding of the draft uh, and and sort of knowing more uh, about players um, than you're able to find in a lot of places, Uh, I would say check out Upside Swings. Uh, It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody. Um, But if you are somebody that is interested in in really understanding the draft and really understanding these prospects um, beyond what you're able to find uh, in a lot of other places, then I would suggest uh, giving us a listen. uh, Drop us a follow on Twitter at Upside Swings. Um, And as the draft comes near, uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff planned. Uh, We'll be, obviously, we have... About 60 or so names right now of prospects we'll be breaking down in depth. Um, So if you're a fan of your school, uh, like if you're a a huge Indiana fan, for example, or something, you want to hear about Trace Jackson Davis in the future, uh, we'll definitely have a podcast um, that has him involved and and you can listen to our in-depth thoughts about him and where we think he would end up being in the class or where we'd have him. Uh, So if you're a fan of a particular school or player, we'll definitely be covering them uh, throughout this cycle as well as international guys. Uh, very much deep dives into names you've probably never heard of Um, and (laughs) odds are stacked against them but we'll cover them anyways Uh, and yeah uh, we'll also eventually after that do a we do every year called a 30 teams in 30 days that's where we had Gerald on Um, and we talk about uh, each NBA team and sort of where they're at and um, certain prospects or names that would really benefit them in terms of where they are in the draft and, and how they could acquire them. So um, we have a lot of stuff planned before the draft coming up. Uh, starting to get into our busy time now. Um, but if you want to really dive into the draft, uh, I would definitely suggest giving us a listen.
0: That's the Upside Swings NBA Draft podcast. I like it also. Yes, they do cover Victor. They do cover Scoot. But you know, for a Lakers fan and for fans of a lot of NBA teams out there that are in the teens uh, whether draft picks are going to lie the teens the 20s you don't get always the coverage that you need as far as the players that might be in that area or find out more about them ahead of time so i love the upside swings nba draft podcast because it helps me become more knowledgeable about the players in the teens and in the 20s that you don't necessarily know as well which you need to because for instance the lakers the Lakers, like I said, as we've mentioned all all throughout this podcast, because of the swap with the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Anthony Davis trade and all that, they will most likely get a pick between 15 and 25, unless there's a big swing by New Orleans one way or the other. It'll probably fall somewhere with there. So you need to know the players that might be around that area or who, who right now, the guys at Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast are projecting in that area. So I, I'd say for lakers fans and for nba fans nba draft heads as a whole you need to check out that show just to get a better idea of who is trending where in this year's nba draft
1: yeah i appreciate you uh giving us a shout out and for having me on again it's always a blast to talk about the lakers and yeah uh looking forward to what the season has
0: in store for us for the remainder of it well the red carpet is always open for you hit me up whenever you want as you did this time around but you're always welcome to join us on the post-games. Don't be scared of Joe. He doesn't bite. <laughs> he doesn't bite. And he respects your opinion. He actually loves and encourages when other people come on the show, just like I do. We love hearing different voices on the show. So you're always welcome as a fellow Lakers fan on the post-game as well. Anytime. You just got to give me a, a heads up, man. Anytime.
1: Appreciate that. I'll definitely uh, take you up on that, I think, as the, as the season goes on, maybe after the All-Star break.
0: Absolutely, unless it goes off the rails. <laughs> yeah,
1: then then you probably won't be seeing too much of me.
0: <laughs> uh, so the numbers tell me. It's always funny because you see when the Lakers win, yay! <laughs> when the when Lakers don't win, no! It goes in yeah. a completely different direction, yes. But I will yeah. say, though, I'm very happy for everyone taking the time out of the day to watching and listening to us here at the Lakers Fast Break. If you could do the same for Upside Swings, that is just truly, truly appreciated. Once again, it's Stone Hansen, Please go ahead and check out the great work that he does. Also as well, Cooper Klein and Bryce Hendricks. Please go ahead and check out what those guys are doing today at the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Well, my friend, it's going to be interesting. we got the second, I can't call it the second half. Okay, the post-All-Star Break for the Lakers coming up. Time is running out, my friend. 23 games left. Any last thoughts before we head on out?
1: Just that I hope we see as much LeBron James as possible, uh, even before the All-Star break, because I think it's important for the team to sort of learn to gel and get a couple games under their belt uh, heading into that post-All-Star game stretch. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we we see that. Um, And, uh, you know, I never... I never want bad things to happen to people, but hopefully the teams ahead of us start dropping behind us. Um, hopefully, we, we start seeing some of them drop a little bit so we have more of a chance. We're only two and a half games out of 10, and four games, uh, I think, out of eight or so. So it's it's very much in, in the cards, very much doable, uh, and hopefully we make it happen.
0: Hopefully, we will indeed. Once again, it's Stone Hansen from the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. Please go ahead and check it out today, wherever you get your podcast my friend always great to have you here talking lakers basketball and the nba draft two things i always love to talk about (laughs) right here at the lakers fast break podcast